The message today is entitled, A True Friend Indeed. I think that word friend is thrown around so often that we have no idea what it means. Exodus 33, verse 7. says, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. See, Moses knew that it was, if he was going to have some quality time with God, some quality alone time, then he had to separate himself from the hustle and bustle of others. He pitched his tent outside of the camp. We know there's a lot of hustle and bustle in life. There's a lot of things that are demanding our attention and that consequently get our attention. But if we're going to have that alone time with God, we need to be purposeful and deliberate about going seeking time alone from God away from the distractions. It was here where Moses would meet with God. It was here where God would have His undivided attention. This tabernacle of meeting was set apart to preserve the sanctity and the integrity of each meeting with God. If you are honest, all of you, what steps have you taken to preserve the sanctity and the integrity of your time with God? Are you intentional about meeting with God away from distractions, away from the TV, away from the radio, away from a cell phone at hand? Are you intentional about doing whatever you can on a regular basis in a protected environment to protect that time with God? Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress and my God, and in Him I will trust. There's just something special about getting into that secret place with God, away from others, void of distractions and interruptions and temptations. And the promise we are given here is that when we make it a a priority to dwell in this secret place with God on a regular basis, it will build our trust with God. We go through times and our trust takes a hit. We wonder what's going on or does God hear our prayer? But truthfully, almost every time that our life is suffering or our hope is being diminished or we are being tempted, almost every single time the truth is that we have neglected that secret time with God. We are not spending enough time in the Word with our friend, with our God. Listen, with all the distractions and all the turmoil going on today, people are continually wanting to know how they can build their trust in God. It's not impossible. Anyone can do it. It just takes a deliberate effort to find quality time with God. Even if that means waking up at 3 in the morning to pray and seek His face. I know for quite a while time in my life, for probably several years when I pastored my last church, that would happen on a regular basis. God would wake me up at 3 o'clock to seek His face for a couple hours. Then I still would have to go to work all day. That's, I mean, it's, I'm not saying to complain, or to, but that's just what God did. That's what God did. And, if, and for me to spend time which I needed, I was willing to do that. That God would supply my needs the rest of the time. But 
Are you willing to do it? I'm not telling you to do that unless God calls you to do that. But are you taking time? Are each of us taking time every day, not just on Sunday, every day to take, get our time alone with God? If you examine any strong relationship you have in life, you will see that unless you make it a priority to spend quality time, undivided time with each other, it will become vulnerable to unmet needs, offenses, wrongful assumptions that lead to conflict. If that is true for human relationships, how much more is it true with God? Back to Exodus 33, verse 8. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose, and each man stood at his tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. Whether you realize it or not, when you are following God, people are watching you. They may be at a distance, but they're watching. And they watch for different reasons. Some watch you because they're curious. They are searching, but they are in no place to make any commitment. So they're curious at what you're doing. Some watch to criticize you. They are waiting for you to fail in one way or another so they can pounce on your God and try to discredit Him. We know that. That happened back in the time of the Pharisees. still goes on today. Some watch because they want to believe, but they're too afraid to make the necessary changes in their life. They're paralyzed by what others think of them, and the fear of being judged by others keeps them from ever committing to following Jesus. Some watch because God is working on them. They want to believe, but they want to see proof that change is possible first. They are not ready to dive in. They did not reach that, reach that point of desperation. Their faith is lacking, and therefore the amount of change they experience is minimal. You've heard it before. I've tried that Christian thing. It didn't work for me. I'm going to try something else from the world. If you've just tried Jesus, that's not the gospel that's in the Bible that we're talking about. It's an all-out, I once was lost, totally desperate, and I was found. That's the... Bible, that's the Gospel and the Jesus that we share. Finally, there are some that watch in awe and are excited at every move of God. They want what you have. That's why Jesus said that you are the salt of the earth. You living Jesus and you, no matter how many hits you take, you keep getting back up. That salt makes other people thirsty for what you have. They want to have a genuine an intimate, personal relationship like with Jesus just like you. Those people are watching as well. Exodus 33, 9 and 10. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. Not just to, but with. All the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose and worshipped, each man in his tent door. In whatever state the people were when they began to watch Moses, they could not help but worship the Lord when the miraculous pillar of cloud descended so that the Lord could talk to Moses at the door. 
The presence of the Lord is undeniable. Verse 11. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. You know, there are a few times throughout Scripture where God's relationship to one of his children is said to be as a friend. What does that mean exactly? I will tell you it's not the buddy-buddy type of friendships that many people think of today. It is a deeper and truer form of a bond that few ever fully experience. Therefore, let's look at this comparison and context to understand what God means when He talks about the qualities of a true friend. From this passage here, we understand that friends know the value of speaking face-to-face. Yes, you can always make phone calls, and you should. And yes, you can write letters, and you should, and write cards and texts and emails. But there's nothing like face-to-face contact in the presence of each other where you can share a hug or a handshake or a high-five. I think many of us took that for granted when the whole world shut down and we couldn't have those things. We realize how important it is just to be with one another. Face-to-face allows one another to hear the inflections in your voice, to see the facial expressions, the body language, and understand the present circumstances surrounding each other. There's no game-playing or glossing over the truth when we're face-to-face. And face-to-face is not always possible. We have loved ones that live around the world. We know face-to-face is not always possible, but it sure makes a difference when you know someone is willing to do whatever it takes to speak directly to you in your presence. That is a true friend. And what do friends say when they are face-to-face? Sure, they express their compassion and appreciation for one another, but I will tell you that if you have a true friend, true friends don't beat around the bush because they value the bond and the strength of a real friendship more than the warm fuzzies and the feel-good compliments of a relationship that is not tested. Friends speak what needs to be said, not just what wants to be shared, wants to be heard. We see this truth throughout the book of Proverbs. Now, I know a lot of people say they, they do their devotions, they read through the Proverbs, they read through Psalms, but I also know that some people, just by how we are created, we read through Proverbs sometimes, we think, well, that doesn't make any sense to me, so I'm going to go on to another one that makes more sense. Do you know that some of the Proverbs and some of the Psalms are pretty somber? There's a lot of truth in the Proverbs if we would take them to heart. Listen to this one, Proverbs 27, verse 5. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. An open rebuke is not one that's given in public to shame. It's one that's given rather face-to-face from one friend to another. True friends don't talk about one another behind their backs. And they don't remain quiet and silently judge each other in their hearts. If there is an issue, then true friends share that so that someone might become closer to God and, and, and forgiveness is sought. 
True friends go to one another face to face and not only share their devotions, but they also confront anything that's off kilter, anything that has affected their friendship, anything that has troubling implications for the future of their friend. I know what it's like. I I work in a public school. And I've had people have had problems with it, and I've seen the sidebars. It's not just in schools. I know it's every organization. People have sidebar conversations, and they wouldn't dare tell this person because they might get offended. But if they really loved that person, they would go. And as I've gone at times to share that with someone, they say, thank you. I had no idea. And I'm thinking, how could you not know? Everyone else is talking about it. And you know what I'm talking about. But that's what true friends, that's why God convicts us when we're off. Not to shame us, so that we can get it right and we can admit it and confess it and be healed and move on. Friends talk face to face. This is exactly what Jesus taught. Matthew 18.15 Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Here's the rest of the story. If he hears you, you have gained a brother. God doesn't say to go deal with someone to prove that you're right or to prove someone's wrong. He says go there believing that this friendship or relationship is going to be restored. That's why we do that. That's why God convicts us so our relationship is restored. We are implored to go to our brother, our sister, our friend, face to face and deal with the issue. Not to prove the other wrong or to or to back our brother or sister into a corner. The truth of the matter is that you never help a friend by trying so hard to carefully conceal a matter for fear of grieving them. Or I don't want to offend them, so I'm not going to say anything. It doesn't get better. We risk losing our friendship if we don't confront in love. That's what God does. On the contrary, a rebuke given faithfully and plainly with an openness of heart without minting the matter and disguising the offense is one that speaks of pure genuineness and a desire to help the friend and strengthen the friendship. True friends know how to speak the truth in love because they desire only the best for you. And while an honest rebuke or a correction may sting for a while, you will be thankful that your friend cared enough about you to tell you the truth and to get you back on track. I want to be honest with you, and I don't know why I'm sharing this because I wasn't planning to share this, but I know sometimes people, there are people that want to correct the pastor a lot, and that's fine if there's something that needs to be corrected. But there's also some people who are afraid to say anything to a pastor because he's a pastor. I've struggled with something for a long time. It's overeating. I've put on a lot of weight. I wish I did, and I'm trying to break that habit. I'm trying to lose weight. In love, I'm asking if someone can hold me accountable in love. Not call me names, not all those things. I know I risk a huge thing by saying that in front of you, but I'm giving you an example and using myself. You've seen me putting on weight and saying, hey, what's wrong? Or how can I help you? Or, and again, I don't, want, I don't want people to send me 25 diet books tomorrow. Okay? But I'm using it as an example. And I'm being very vulnerable right now. 
Why is it that we can't go to our friends who we say we love and say, listen, I'm, care- I'm worried about you, or I'm, I'm praying for you, or how can I help? And that's just one example. We have friends that do other things, and it's, now we're not trying to shame them or say we're better than we are, but if we truly love friends, why don't we go to them and say, listen, I want to help, or I'm praying for you. How can I help? And again, I'm scared to death saying it right now because I feel like everyone's going to come and say something to me and I'm going to feel embarrassed. But I I want to use it as an example. Friends should be able to tell the truth to their friends if it's something that gets in the way with your friendship or with God or our health. Our bodies are, we're called to be vessels of the Holy Spirit to take care of ourselves. So at times when things have been very stressful, I tend to overeat. Yes, I'm sorry I admit it, you do not have a perfect pastor. But I will be honest with you. I am fortunate for the friends that I have in my life that are willing to say it in a graceful way and encourage one another. That's what friends do. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Listen to this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Though an open rebuke from a friend may seem to be severe and may cause uneasiness for the present, it proceeds from a spirit of love and faithfulness and integrity, and it is designed for the good of the person to whom it is given. It's desires that one becomes right with God. I'm not sharing with this because I want to point it out in you or to show you that I'm better. I'm sharing with this to you because I love you and I want you to get closer to God. Now, it doesn't mean, please don't go here and leave and talk to everyone down the street to tell them to start losing weight. Okay? That will not work. And again, you only do with God, you know, God puts in your heart, how can you help your friend? If you feel led by the Holy Spirit, do so. But I think too many times we don't do that, and then people go to the people in the world, a counselor or someone in the world, to have them tell us stuff, when really our brothers and sisters should be doing this all along. Psalm 141, verse 5. It's better. You ready? Let the righteous strike me. It shall be a kindness. And let him rebuke me. It shall be as excellent oil. Let my head not refuse it. For still my prayer is against the deeds of the wicked. Now, I'm not asking us to do a ministry of beating each other on the head. Okay? It's not what this says. It's, it's, it's saying, let's be truthful to one another to get that sin away so that we can be closer to God. Let's be honest with one another. Let's grow together as a family of God. We need to keep all things in a godly perspective, expecting to be rebuked by our friends. When we our motivations are off, when we've done something off, again, we know this forgiveness. I'm not telling us to jump at everything we do wrong, but when there's a persistent thing over time, if someone has the, is struggling with the temptation to gossip, and you know it, time goes again and again, we need to say something. I will tell you it happens as a pastor all the time. People bring something to my attention. They say, so-and-so said this about you. Or so-and-so is saying this about the church. 
And I said, did you tell so-and-so to come to me? No, but they want me to tell you. That should not happen. That, that, that destroys a church. We need to go face-to-face in love. And we need to have grace and compassion. When someone's doing something off, our first, our first response is to forgive. If it happens again, we go to that person that we may gain a brother or sister. We don't let things fester. We don't let things sidebar. We don't let things get built up all of a sudden. It's everyone, so now one person comes to the pastor and it's ten people on one. It's not just to a pastor. It could be to anybody. But I'm telling you from the Word of God, I'm not making up words. This is what the Word of God says. That if we are friends and brothers and sisters, we will go to one another as friends who love one another and speak truth so that someone may become closer with God. I understand this is not a popular message and some people like to go to church to hear a rosy message, but the fact is if we can get clean to become closer to God, then we're doing ourselves a favor. What better way to be ready to receive the course corrections than to pray this prayer so that we remain humble and always ready to hear truth and ready to respond in love. I would bet that this verse, this Word of God, these ones in Psalms and Proverbs, I would bet that these don't make it into too many personal prayers today. God, please let me go out and be corrected. God, please give me some course corrections. Please let me know where I'm off. I can't imagine, maybe some of you have, but I can't imagine many people make that their regular prayer. But if there's something in my life that I can't see because I have a weakness or a sin or a blindness and I'm going through that and I'm not stopping, I would hope that a brother or sister would say, listen, I love you. I love you. I want to help you in your relationship with God. I'm just checking in. Or how can I help you? Or how can I pray for you? I personally thank God for those true friends in my life that care enough about me to speak truth to my spirit even when my flesh does not want to hear it. If you have a friend like this, you are rich beyond measure. God Himself is a friend like this to all who come to Him wanting to be changed. Again, there are some people that go to Jesus and say, I'll try Jesus. No, that's not the Gospel that we're selling or promoting, or sharing. I want to go to Jesus because I know I'm wrong, and I know I'm a sinner, and I know I've been trusting myself, and it's not working. I want to be changed. If you don't want to be changed, then you don't need Jesus, and Jesus won't work for you. But people who want to be changed, that come to God, they want to be sanctified, and to be set apart from the world. They want to join the family of God where we are not perfect at all, but we continue to encourage one another and pray for one another and believe for one another. We must be willing to go face-to-face with God, our true friend indeed, to be instructed, to be corrected, to set us back on the right path. Only a true friend cares enough to do this for you. We will never have a truer and more honest and caring friend than Jesus. Proverbs 27, verse 17, our memory verse for today, says, As iron sharpens iron, so is 
Though a man, a woman, a child sharpens the countenance of his friend. It's not a let me kiss your boo-boo and wipe it as iron sharpens iron. That's tough. But if we would do it regularly, it would not be tough. This is what a God-ordained friendship looks like. It is one where friends sharpen each other. They challenge each other to do the right thing, to walk in integrity. Listen, I know how hard it is to walk in integrity in this world. There's all the temptations, all the lusts, all the things that are flesh desires, all the things that other people are doing. Being a Christian is not popular. Following God is not popular. But we can do it if we stand by one another and go forward together. We challenge each other to demonstrate forgiveness when, we, when others have been wronged and to follow the passions of your heart and not the pride of our flesh. By spending quality time in the presence of God, this is what we can expect from Him. He challenges us to walk upright, to be faithful to our values and our morals. Here's the big one. To apologize when we are wrong. We teach it to kids in schools all the time, but many adults have such a hard time, they get the Fonzie mentality. Remember Fonzie from Happy Days? I was wrong. Couldn't say he was wrong. And our flesh doesn't want to admit that. But we make mistakes all the time. I was wrong. I am sorry. I apologize. Those are the things that we should be doing to keep pride at bay. To work through forgiveness when we're hurt or offended. This is what God intends each of us to be to our fellow brothers and sisters here on earth. It's also clear that this is how God is with us. However, there's no reciprocity in this friendship for us to tell God what He's doing wrong or what we think He's doing wrong. Even though many people try to do that all the time. As if God hasn't considered your perspective before. As, oh, as if God never thought of that. I'm just going to tell God, in case you don't know God, in case you don't have this perspective. Right? We laugh about it, but we do that. We think that. I just want to tell God this. Listen to what the Word says about that. Isaiah 40, verses 13 and 14. It says, Who has directed the Spirit of the Lord? Or as His Counselor has taught Him? With whom did He take counsel? And who instructed Him and taught Him in the path of justice? Who taught Him knowledge and showed Him the way of understanding? God had no teacher. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is our foundation. And in Him we can always trust. Amen? We don't have to try to figure it out. Or we don't have to try to understand every intricacy of God. That's how atheism is born. Atheism is someone without faith. They try to figure out every single thing. As soon as something doesn't make sense, they figure there must be no God. Instead of saying what the Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. There are a lot of things that we can understand or at least get a piece about, but there are some things the Bible says that His way is way above our ways. We have to have faith to trust in God. 
Scripture is clear on the fact that God is Lord over all. He is the Most High, the Creator, the Sovereign King over the entire universe. And He has chosen you to be His friend. Imagine that. All the things He can do with a snap of His finger, and He's chosen you personally to be His friend. A true friend sticks with you through thick and thin. A true friend is patient and truthful and is not susceptible to rumors. Always believes the best and is willing to do whatever it takes to protect any relationship that you have with each other as friends. If we are to truly live and be that friend of God, we must be ready to rise up against temptations when the enemy speaks about our God. When the enemy tries to sow doubt or confusion in our minds, we must stand on the truth of the Word that no one is closer to us and more faithful to us than our God. As the Scripture tells us, Jesus Christ is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. He desires to be more than someone you talk about. He longs to be the one you talk to. Moses and God talked. God talked with Moses. They talked to one another. In fact, listen to this. No one is more interested in your life, in your desires, in your passions, in your challenges, and in your questions than Jesus Himself. Why did God compare Himself to a friend? Because He wants to spend time with us. He wants to hear from us. Again, whether you're complaining, whether you're yelling, whether you're shouting, whether you're praising, take it to God. Unlike some in our lives, Jesus does not judge us. Even though He knows not only what we do and say, He even knows why we do the things that we do. The things that just infuriate ourselves, He knows us. He still says, I want to hear from you. I love you. He knows our inner motivations, our attitudes, and every place where we fall short. And even though our sins are, our sins separate us from God by bringing guilt and shame and condemnation to our minds, Jesus is determined to reach through our pain, to reach through the condemnation, to reach past the guilt, to reach beyond our failures and even beyond our indifference to Him, so that we could come into His presence. As a middle school teacher, I see friends fighting all the time, having disagreements all the time. Some of you look back at the time in middle school and you say, man, I'm glad I don't have to live that time again. I see it all the time. Friends argue and they fight, and they break up, and they run away from each other. Their own stubbornness and their propensity to hold a grudge keeps them so distant from one another. I see good friends go through so much turmoil because the pain of that separation causes so much grief and stress. And many are either unwilling or unable to repair that relationship again. Yet this is the same place that we all find ourselves. We don't always acknowledge it as such. But when we refuse to follow God's plan for our lives, when we seek the desires of our flesh or the desires to be right, 
instead of the call on our hearts to follow God. When we give in to temptation instead of staying strong, we sin. When we gossip and complain and judge others either outwardly or inwardly, we don't have to say it, God knows. When we worry instead of trusting God, this is sin. And when we willingly or unknowingly continue in these actions and attitudes, the truth is that we remain separated from God. And like those middle school kids, we lack the ability to repair this relationship on our own. But Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, is never lacking. In fact, His love for us, in spite of our sins, is nothing short of miraculous. How could someone love us so much when we have such a hard time loving and accepting ourselves? The love that Christ has for us transcends anything that we know or could understand. In fact, we invite the Word of God to show us what Jesus was willing to do to demonstrate His perfect love for each and every one of us. Don't turn there yet, Greg. But Psalm 22 is a powerful prophetic rendering of what Christ had to endure as He gave His life freely on the cross to be a payment for our sins. As difficult as it is to hear and to study it, we're going to talk about it, as to see this and to hear this. Now, we know the story of Jesus died on the cross. It's way more than that. It becomes too trivial. It's going to be hard to hear the stuff that's in the Word of God. But I will tell you that it was a million times worse for Jesus as He experienced it and willingly suffered through it all. If we think we are mature enough to handle the terms of friend and to handle the terms of love, then we better first understand the real meaning behind these terms. This is what Jesus did for love. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have You forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? These are the words that Jesus uttered on the cross. Now they were prophesied years before that exactly what Jesus would do on the cross as He hung there to die. Jesus experienced intense physical pain and suffering. And for the first time, He felt a separation from God the Father as the sins of humanity were put upon His shoulders. At this point of His near death, Jesus, for the first time in the Bible, you can look it up yourself, but for the first time in the Bible, Jesus called Him God, not Father. Because He felt so separated and so distant. My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? What father, after all, would allow his child to experience such pain and suffering without coming to his rescue? A father like our God, that's who. For God knew that the only way to make a bridge back to Him for all of us, for all of His children, was to allow His holy and perfect One to be sacrificed on our behalf. This is a love on a level that we will never fully understand this side of heaven. And just try to wrap your head around what 
Jesus was experiencing in his mind and in his soul and his spirit during this agonizing trial. Psalm 22, 6-8. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. This is Jesus. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him, since He delights in Him. The feeling of separation from His Father and now the mocking of hundreds of people all around Him. In fact, it was for these very people who were mocking Him that Jesus gave His life. How is that possible? Because Jesus is a true friend indeed. Certainly one of the strongest hitting verses to any believer has got to be this one in Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though the people jeered at Him and mocked Him, Jesus died for them. Even though His own disciples deserted Him and fled in fear, Christ died for them. And even though we continue to sin and follow after the ways of the world, we give in to temptations and at times we all take for granted what Jesus suffered for our sake, the Son of God demonstrated His perfect love by willingly dying for each and every one of us. Psalm 22, verse 14 continues, I am poured out like water, and my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. Jesus bled profusely through the whipping and the scourging and the, of the crucifixion. It is amazing, and I think it's miraculous, that He even made it to the cross. Anyone else would have died before they got to the cross. Yet the power of His love for you and for me is what propelled Him to finish. And probably most amazing of all is that He did not open His mouth. He never uttered a single complaint. How that action alone pales in comparison to our weakness and the things that we complain about. What gave Him the power to do this? It was God-ordained love. Love is not described that way today. It's more about emotions and feelings and how you feel in the moment. But this is love. The Bible says that God is love. Jesus' love for all of us knew that the shed blood of a precious and innocent lamb without spot or wrinkle was the only way that payment could be made and atonement for our sins with God would be accepted. If Jesus would have fought back even once or complained or resisted to the least, His actions would have ceased to become a gift. His life would have been taken from Him, but instead He chose to lay it down for each and every person who would one day believe in Him on His name. He laid it down for you and you and you and you for me. Psalm 22, verse 16. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Heavy 
nails were pounded through his feet and his hands to affix him to the cross as the congregation gathered around him. Historical writers at that time did not even have a word to describe how painful it was, and so they created the word excruciating. That means the pain of being nailed to a cross. Excruciating pain. How was this even possible to go through this type of pain? It was because of love. That's how. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They look and they stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Listen, even as Jesus died on the cross, the Roman soldiers were more concerned on what they would get out of the deal. Which clothing of His that they would get without realizing that He would sacrifice His very life for them. And as bad as this was, and excruciatingly painful as it felt, as humiliating as it must have been when people mocked Him and spit in His face, as lonely as it must have been, there was one fact that we often forget. Listen to this. Jesus knew exactly how He would die the entire time He walked this earth. We don't often talk about that. He knew the Psalms and the entirety of the Scriptures. He knew that they spoke of Him. He knew that He would be the fulfillment of them. He knew this very Psalm, word for word, that we are reading right now, He knew how bad it would be. You know what times when you go through a trial and you think, man, I'm glad I didn't know that because I wouldn't have walked through that. Jesus knew that the entire time He was on this earth. Listen to this. Every time He passed a sheep in the marketplace, He knew that one day He would be called upon to be the Lamb of God who was slaughtered to take away the sins of the world. Every time He saw or heard someone being beaten or whipped or scourged or brutally punished, He intuitively knew that one day He would be scourged without mercy and beaten for hours on end because of our sin. Every time He heard a hammer pounding nails into wood, as He heard Joseph, His father, as a carpenter, and surely Himself as He probably followed in that trade, every time He heard the ting of a hammer, He knew one day He would hear that same sound as it was driven through His very flesh. Jesus knew all of this, yet it never changed Him. It never affected Him or caused Him to withdraw from others or to lash out or to become impatient or insensitive. Why? Because He is perfect love. He offers that love to us. He knew exactly what it meant to be a friend. He laid down His life and after three days in the grave, He rose from the dead to a new life. It is the same new life that He still offers to us today when we turn to Him, when we confess our sins, when we turn from our ways and begin to follow and trust Him as our Lord and as our Savior. John 15, verses 14, You are My friends, Jesus says, if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Understanding what Christ has done for us out of love, He now calls us friends. Do you understand 
what a friend is? Do we understand what love is? It was of the most importance that he shared all of this so that it could be passed on. There are too many people today who are hurting and lost, confused, angry, fearful, and in utter despair, all because they have not fully understood and received the true gift of friendship and pure gift of love. May we truly understand this perfect love 